0: I'm your host, Lacey Ramsey. And I'm your host, Alex Brennan. We are a podcast for the strange and unusual.
1: Every other Friday, we release an episode where one of your hosts teaches the other about a topic or event that we find to be strange or unusual. On Monday,
0: before the episode is released, we post our custom-themed cocktail recipe so you have time to get the ingredients
1: and drink along with us. So sit back and relax. It's time for Crackpot Cocktail Hour.
0: No se camina sobre las líneas de la sagrada. La parte sagrada
1: making big headlines today
0: because apparently they care about Mother Earth. History, not so much. Peru vowing to prosecute Greenpeace activists after they allegedly damaged one of the world's world-famous Nazca lines during an environmental publicity stunt. Let's show you this. It's the figure of the hummingbird, which is absolutely sacred to Peru. It's etched into the ground, and now it's been damaged by a Greenpeace logo and dozens of footprints, which could last thousands of of years. They said, um, you know, that they were deeply, deeply sorry quote, rather than uh, relay an urgent message of hope and possibility to the leaders gathering at the Lima UN climate talks, we came across as careless and crass.
1: This is very regrettable and I'm glad that Greenpeace has apologized. I I mean, when that becomes about defacing, in this case, very significant and sacred historical landmarks, that is a line that cannot be crossed. Sun News, Canada.
0: narrate the other person's actions yeah yeah <laughs> um, all
1: right well i'm gonna jump in yeah uh so disclaimer lacy changed her subject and then didn't tell me what it is so yes. we're all in for the exact same ride together.
0: <laughs> yeah, I was doing another subject that proved to be a bit more emotionally fraught that I decided to shelve for a time in my life when I had more emotional resources. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> and moved on to something that I thought was much more light, frothy, much like this drink we have in front of us. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so what are we drinking today? We
0: are drinking the Nazca Monkey. So the Nazca Monkey is based on a Pisco Sour. You'll find out why in a little bit, but the Pisco Sour is the national cocktail of Peru.
1: Okay. Uh,
0: Pisco is its uh, national liquor. It's a type of brandy, and I've got kind of a little bit of information on it that I want to get into because I had to learn in order to make this. Cool. Uh, But the Nazca Monkey, I will uh, give you the recipe for that and for the mocktail, and then kind of give you some background as you're sipping on it. The uh, Nazca Monkey, as I said, is based on a Pisco Sour. It's 1.5 parts uh, Peruvian Pisco, 1 ounce banana liqueur, 3 quarters ounce lime juice, 1 egg white, and rosemary bitters. You mix them all together in a shaker, then you add ice and shake it vigorously, and then garnish with rosemary and a banana slice. Uh, The Nazca Monkey Mocktail is a few drops of non-alcoholic tequila flavoring mix. You can get it on Amazon. Three ounces banana nectar, one ounce lime juice, one egg white, and rosemary bitters to taste. Again, you mix it all in the shaker, add ice, shake vigorously, garnish with rosemary and banana slice.
1: Cool, it actually does look really cool. Thanks. So want to take a sip? Yeah, It'll cheers. Cheers. I don't know if they'll point super well.. I <laughs> I'm just a oh I don't know what I was expecting. That was not it <laughs> but I like it. <laughs> I wanted
0: to have it kind of be a balanced flavor. I think of I tried Pisco for the first time for this drink and so I made myself a pisco sour like first before anything just to kind of see what that's like. Uh, pisco is very like a cross between white tequila and grappa. So it's clean and herbal and it also has like a little bit of like a um, earthy leafy taste
1: to mm-hmm. it. It's definitely very light.
0: yeah, thanks and I thought um, banana liqueur partly because one of the designs we're going to be talking about at one point is a monkey and monkeys bananas. <laughs> made sense together to me. <laughs> uh, I, I also, can't imagine why. Yeah, I don't know. I, <laughs> I think I'm the first person to ever make that connection. I think you're a genius. I think you're a trailblazer. Uh, I also read that in Peru, they do a lot of uh, herbaceous flavors in their drinks. They like to muddle herbs and infuse a lot of things with herbs. So I thought adding rosemary to this would be kind of a nice nod to
1: that. Yeah, cool. <laughs> uh,
0: so the Nazca Monkey, there are a couple of alternate titles for this because I you know, always brainstorm. Uh, an alternate title is Desert Lionland. Like okay. Desert Island. And uh, whose line is it, is it anyway? <laughs> yes. So I'll give you a little bit of background on this. Um, a little bit about Pisco. Uh, Pisco means small bird in the Incan language. I'm going to spell the name of the language. Q U E C H U A. <laughs>
1: of course naturally Uh, naturally (laughs) i
0: don't know how to pronounce that i'm probably going to butcher some names in this episode that's
1: okay we Uh, never said we're professionals pisco is a type of brandy
0: you might recall from our old-fashioned wives tale cocktail that we used apple brandy instead of rye whiskey for our old-fashioned variation Mm -hmm. so this is another kind of brandy brandy is made from fermented fruit juice often fermented grape juice so it's made from fermented wine a lot of the time uh, but not always and then it's aged and distilled The name for brandy comes from the Dutch brandywine, meaning burned wine.
1: Oh, okay. That makes sense.
0: Yeah. Uh, Brandy is categorized by the time it has aged in addition to what it's made from. Something interesting about pisco is that it cannot be aged in wood.
1: So how do they age it? Uh,
0: By law, pisco can only be distilled once using a copper still, and they usually store them in these elongated containers that I've got a picture of that they refer to as piscos because that's their main purpose. So they're like these kind of clay pots...
1: Oh, they store them in okay, and
0: we can post these on our website. I
1: know these are clay pots, but they kind of look like gas tanks. Don't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah that's So
0: Kind of interesting. Um, then they, they use a copper still. There is a lot of regulations around it, uh, so it has to be distilled only once and because of that, they use sweeter grapes to keep a lot of the sweetness in to better concentrate the sugar content. Also, Pisco must be distilled to proof between 38 and 48 percent ABV. Other liquors are uh, have water added to them to make them the proper proof. Mm. Pisco cannot have water added to it. It has to be made exactly the way it's supposed to be made and not altered afterwards. There
1: are no exceptions. Yeah,
0: there's not a lot of room for error, which I thought was pretty interesting. Like, I think it's always kind of cool whenever um, a culture or like a country decides to like lay claim to the manufacturing process of something that comes yeah. from them.
1: Well, it sounds like they take great pride in making sure like this is exactly so in a certain way. Definitely.
0: Uh, it has to be made from distilled wine And not grapes left over from wine production. Some other brandies will do like leftover fruit in order to kind of recycle and use, but this has to be made from like actual like wine. And it has to be made in one of the five coastal regions of Peru, which are perfect for growing the sweet grapes that it needs. There's some controversy because Chile also produces Pisco but a lot of Peruvians are like, that's
1: not real Pisco. Yeah. (laughs) It's not real Pisco, it's fake Pisco. Uh, And I think part Part, part of it is... More like (laughs) peace. (laughs) no
0: Exactly. So, uh, part of it is like making sure that they've got the right kind of grapes and that the Mm -hmm. region is proper for growing them. After distillation, Pisco has to rest for at least three months and uh, it's rested in those clay pitchers called Piscos and sometimes it's rested in glass or stainless steel, but again Never would. Okay. It's further classified by which type of grapes are used and by the timing of when the wine is distilled, either before or after the yeast has consumed all the sugars, so that kind of denotes how dry it is. If the yeast has consumed all the sugar, then it's going to be a lot drier of a pisco.
1: Okay. That makes sense. And I guess it makes sense that they would use a medium like a clay or a glass to have it sit in because I know like a lot of uh, liquors, a lot of bourbons, whenever they're like in different types of wooden barrels, like that flavor will translate over and it sounds like they want to preserve the purity of the flavor of the liquor itself. I think you're exactly right.
0: And so yeah, that's kind of a little bit of an overview of Pisco just because I thought it was kind of fascinating and I wanted to give you the information that I took some inspiration from a cocktail called the Banana Spider that Kirk Estopinal came up with. It's featured on punchdrink.com. I modified it a bit, added some rosemary, et cetera. But he gave me the idea to uh, put a banana twist on a Pisco Sour. Nice.
1: Yeah. And fuck banana spiders. They're huge and they're deadly.
0: (laughs) Right? I was like, I don't want to conjure any spiders in this. (laughs) So today we are talking about, do you have any guesses? No, not a single one. (laughs) All right. We are discussing the Nazca Lines. What's Nazca Lines? Oh, I'm so excited you don't know what this is. This is gonna be fun. All right, so I've got, what are the Nazca Lines? (laughs) I anticipated your question.
1: Please consult the FAQ. (laughs) Uh,
0: So the Nazca Lines are giant images of plants,
1: animals. (gasps) I know what these are. Yeah? Continue, yes. And
0: parallel lines and shapes across 170 miles of terrain that are very difficult to make out from the ground.
1: But from the sky, you can make up various shapes. Um, Actually, I believe they showed them in the Indiana Jones, uh, The Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. But they actually changed the geography of it in that film and make them look like they're right next to each other when they're actually hundreds of miles apart.
0: Wow, we were just talking about Shia LaBeouf before we started recording. (laughs) Everything comes back to him.
1: (laughs) It's a a Shia day.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Don't shy away from your Shia day. (laughs) After this, we're going to watch all
1: of Even Stevens. And then some holes.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, yeah, you're ex- you're exactly right. Uh, so they're hard to make out from the ground. They're about 2,000 years old. They've been called the eighth wonder of the world. There are over 800 straight lines, 300 geometric figures, and 70 plant and animal designs. They're called the Nazca lines because it's estimated that they were created by the Nazca civilization who thrived in Peru from 200 BC to about 600 AD. These lines are best observed from the sky, although some of the lines are readily observable from nearby he- hills. Oh, oh, so we had some Texas heels
1: creeping heels. in there at the end. I'm going to try to keep that up. The heels have eyes. <laughs> <laughs> the heels have ass. <laughs> you never seen those lines out there
0: up them heels? <laughs> that reminds me of that... Um, mr ducks do you know that no see it's a thing my dad used to do it's like all spelled out with like letters and you have to read the letters and it makes like a sentence it's nonsense <laughs> uh, the nazca lines are also a unesco world heritage site i learned what unesco stands for because i've read the acronym a whole bunch but did <laughs> never know what that meant so it is the united nations national educational uh, the united nations educational scientific and cultural organization UNESCO is dedicated to identifying and preserving sites of universal cultural, natural, or scientific significance. There are a lot of specific criteria that UNESCO uses to decide whether a site has the value it actually needs to be deemed a World Heritage Site. So this has gone through pretty rigorous scrutiny to get to the point where it's considered a World Heritage Site.
1: That makes sense. So I imagine like uh, the cave paintings outside of Paris would be amongst them the earliest known like human drawings. I would assume so. Things like probably the Great Pyramids. Yeah. Like
0: that. Um things that they want to make sure are preserved so that we can continue to study and learn about them. Yeah. Uh, but what exactly are the Nazca lines? <laughs> I'm going to keep asking this question. Aliens. <laughs> we'll get to that.
1: According to Indiana Jones 4, aliens.
0: <laughs> Lee and I definitely watched the Ancient Aliens episode on this, and we have some content from that as well. <laughs> Along with a little soapbox about
1: it. Okay, so uh, on our website, I'll also post the picture of the Ancient Alien guy with David Duchovny doing the same aliens pose. Mm. Because that picture just
0: makes me giggle every time I see it.
1: And David Duchovny, I mean, why not? Um,
0: The Nazca lines are sort of carved into the earth. They're about a foot wide, and they're between six and 12 inches deep, but some go on for up to 30 miles. Many of the images were made with a technique where artists removed the darker surface stones and exposed the lighter stone beneath. And then they stack up the dark stones on the sides of where they've been cleared to help shape the overall edges of the image.
1: Okay, so it's like outlining it afterward.
0: Exactly. And sometimes in some of them, they reverse that process. And so they'll pile them up in the middle and have the lines on the outside. But it's a similar kind of way of doing things. Mm -hmm. In the designs, there are depictions of animals and plants, as well as parallel lines, swirls, geometric patterns, and shapes that seem to have no pattern at all. According to History.com, animals depicted in the Nazca lines include, quote, a spider a hummingbird, cactus plant, monkey, whale, llama, duck, flower, tree, lizard, and dog. Cool. Yeah. Uh, there is one humanoid figure figure named the astronaut, but we're going to talk a little bit more in depth about that one. Aliens. <laughs> uh, so I wanted to show you a picture of some of the images so you could uh, get an idea of what they look like. Thank you for shifting to accommodate my shitty back. Yeah, it's all right. Uh, so that's like the hummingbird. The condor, which is pretty cool. But you can yeah. see there's also, across these images, there's a lot of other, like, intersecting lines as well.
1: Yeah, I wonder if those were just agriculture lines from later on, or if they have any relevance to the dis- original design itself.
0: Yeah, I'm curious about how they relate to each other as well. The spider. Obviously. <laughs> Toads, ofs. The, the monkey. monkey. The monkey is featured in our uh, cocktail design as well. That's the astronaut. The astronaut. Which, sure, Maybe.
1: It looks like someone was trying to draw our current depiction of the Mothman.
0: That's awesome. I love the idea that it's the Mothman. It's the Mothman. Uh, So those are all the pictures from now, anyway. It's also important to note that as-yet-unknown Nazca lines are periodically discovered as well. So we occasionally find more of these. In 2011, a Japanese team discovered one of the smallest of the designs, which looks like it's depicting decapitation.
1: Well that's fun.
0: One known part of the Nazca culture was collecting trophy heads.
1: Well that's also terrifying. So
0: this interpretation of the image might actually fit the
1: culture. <laughs> have you uh cyber, have you yeah. heard of the death whistle? No. Wait, no. So uh I wanna say it was I heard uh, of the death rattle. Well everyone no. Uh, death row is terrible. Okay. So the death whistle, uh, they found all these skulls in these uh, ancient temples. I want to say they were Aztec. But they found all these uh, little skulls that were all around them and no one really understood what the significance was and they were just like these hand carved (coughs) skulls. And then one day someone decided to try to blow into one and it imitated the sound of a human screaming. Whoa! Yeah, you can look it up on, actually,
0: if you want to look it up on YouTube. I actually unplugged my router so we don't have internet access right now because we've got so many other things plugged in. Oh, I'll, I'll show it to you later. <laughs> I, I had a video I wanted to watch and was like, nope.
1: It is um disturbing. Yikes. Yeah. Okay, yeah, I'm curious about yeah. that. I'll put it on the website.
0: Um. Yeah, so they definitely collected trophy heads. And then in 2016, the same Japanese team found a larger figure that seems to be a spotted, mini legged mythical creature sticking its tongue out. And you can find images of this. I had trouble finding um, good images of it, though. Mm-hmm. The research team wrote that they found a path to the center of the ancient Nazca city, Kahuchi, c-a-h-a-u-c-h-i between the two glyphs that they discovered so they discovered each of them and then they found a path in between them and they concluded that they might be related to a pilgrimage that the nazca people made to this religious city
1: oh that's kind of cool yeah
0: so they're like maybe this is like part of a like religious ritual or like to help lead the way
1: it's also fascinating that this day and age we're still discovering things on our planet's surface especially with like google earth taking photographs of the surface all the flipping time well one technology that's
0: like really come up in the last become much more available to consumers in the last decade is drone technology mm-hmm. and so now we've got th- the capability of people getting drone images that don't have to necessarily be like from the government or you know someone yeah. who's licensed to do so in 2018 peruvian archaeologists found 50 more Nazca designs using drones oh wow
1: This is how we're going to find El Dorado, too.
0: Right. And part of it is because some of them are more difficult to make out. I think actually having, like, machine learning and pattern recognition is useful in detecting things that we might not actually be able to figure out mean something with our
1: our own eyes. Um, Quick question. How old do they think these are again? About 2,000 years. Okay. So I'm... Give or take. Wondering, like, how much uh, has miraculously been maintained because of size and how much has been erased or distorted because of erosion
0: right well one thing is that the region in which these are is a really arid region that doesn't experience a lot of precipitation doesn't have a lot of wind so that's part of uh, why most of these are so well preserved is because there's just not a lot to disturb them other than people okay that makes sense the newly discovered designs are uh a little bit different, the ones that were found in 2018, the lines are thinner, and they are carved into hillsides so that they could be visible from the land nearby. So instead of, like, looking down on it, you're looking up at it. Interesting. uh, I wonder
1: when that transition happened.
0: Uh, It's suspected that these lines might actually be from cultures prior to the Nazca, uh, like the Paracas people who lived in the same area, but a little bit beforehand. Okay. According to History.com, the Nazca lines are a, quote, collection of giant geoglyphs. So, what the hell is a geoglyph? <laughs> <laughs> Glyphs put on the earth? <laughs> wow, good understanding of language. <laughs> uh, according to the page, What is a Geoglyph? by George A. Canola on GeographyRealm.com, geoglyphs are works of art created by moving objects in the landscape.
1: Yeah, so, Yeah, basically. Uh, artists create those Latin root words. <laughs> <laughs> it's helpful,
0: right? Uh, artists create patterns and designs out of the natural spaces they alter by rearranging elements of these spaces, usually rocks or the dirt itself, and these designs contrast with the natural space around them. Another type of geoglyph are chalk giants, wherein the artists expose stone beneath the earth to form patterns. To qualify as a geoglyph, a work of art must exceed 4 meters in size, which is a little over 13 feet, and it will be difficult or impossible to observe properly from the ground, but very obviously visible from the air or from above." Okay. And then I've got um, some pictures to show you uh, that are examples of other geoglyphs. So apart from the Nazca Lines, we've got other known geoglyphs in the world, which include the Blythe Intaglios, near Blythe, California, in the Colorado desert. So they're these like human figures that you can see have been kind of walled off. So yeah. they don't get disturbed. The Great Serpent effigy mound, which again, people didn't know about until we kind of looked at from above. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are in Minnesota, Iowa, Ohio, and Wisconsin. We have different effigy mounds. Bighorn Medicine Wheel in Wyoming, which there are actually a bunch of different medicine wheels found all across North America. This is a oh, okay. like, common phenomenon that people find like these... Um, mysterious wheels of rock and it's been expected that they use these to predict astronomical events. Okay. We've got the Pintados in Chile, which again are um, kind of similar to the lines. You can see there's like a relief where they've moved the stones to yeah. expose
1: there's the There's a lot more detail in this one than some of the other ones.
0: Yeah, I tried to find ones that are a little bit more
1: standout so you could see what they are. Mm-hmm. There's the
0: Oofington White Horse. That one's really cool. That one's really neat. And like, I... I yeah, sorry guys. Garbage day. <laughs> Garbage day. <laughs> Is that Yoda? <laughs> no, there's. It's,
1: it's a really shitty B movie reference. Uh-huh. I'll put in the actual audio of the episode.
0: (laughs) Carpet day! Um, The Oofington White Horse uh, actually has to be maintained by people. Like, every now and then they have to, like, go scrub it and make sure that it's still visible and it's been maintained for, like, since I I think the 1500s, there are references in the record to it being a horse. Because people are also like, is it really a horse or is it Mm -hmm. some other animal? But it looks very
1: clearly like a horse. And I
0: read also in World War II, uh, because it's such a visible from the air marker, they actually, like covered it over and tried to obscure it so that it couldn't be used as a marker for people trying to bomb
1: Oh, that's kind of cool. Did you see uh, what they used to cover the statue of David during World War II? No. It's just like this, it's like cement egg that they put over, like they bricked (laughs) up around it so if uh, where it was being preserved was bombed, it would still survive. That's incredible, I had
0: no idea. Yeah,
1: we'll put that on the website too. Yeah, that's really cool. We have a lot of media for this episode. There's also a more recent
0: one a more recent geoglyph is the Spiral Jetty in Utah, which was built in 1970 by Robert Smithson. Got a picture of that there. So that's very kind of modern example of mm-hmm. something like that. Oh, don't look at those skulls yet. We're not there. <laughs> <What> skulls? <laughs> All right, oh, look so, at the ceiling. <laughs> uh, how are the Nazca lines constructed? We talked a little bit about kind of the micro-construction, the moving the rocks and exposing the ground beneath. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to get into a little bit more of the process of that. So sometimes the artists, uh, like I said, they remove the rocks along the border, creating a relief in the middle. And sometimes they remove the rocks from the middle, but it's a pretty similar process. How did they create the Im- these images at scale, though, is one of the big questions. Mm-hmm. Like, how did they figure out how to create this on this massive scale. It's believed that they might have started with smaller models that they proportionally increased using stakes and ropes to help kind of line off where these should go. And they've actually found some stakes nearby that would help support this theory. Okay. That maybe they were doing that. The fact that these designs, a lot of them are visible from nearby hills, suggests that people or maybe teams were coordinating and being able to look at them from up above and make them on the
1: ground. Yeah, I think you know that's what I would do. Like if I want like a leg to be a certain length, but I want like the, the spider, right, I would have that length of rope move out X amount of area, stake it down, then dig it up. That makes sense, right?
0: Yeah. So that's a little bit of the construction. And I want that this kind of led me to want to know like what is some of the history in the area? Like to me, the greatest mystery around this is why yeah not not so much how but why would someone why would a group of people like need to make these? yeah what's the purpose so i think to answer that i i dug in a little bit to the history around the area like what would be going through someone's mind yeah (laughs) to help create this (laughs) Uh, as i said the nazca people lived in peru from about 200 bc to about 600 ad they were known for their colorful pottery and textiles both depicting scenes of battle as well as harvest, animals, and especially cats and cat-like creatures.
1: <laughs> A lot of these ancient cultures really like cats. <laughs> I know,
0: I'm into it. Uh, the Paracas culture predates the Nazca culture, with many Paracas sites having been discovered beneath Nazca settlements. And some line figures knew that Nazca lines are actually attributed to the Paracas people due to little bits of differences here and there.
1: Okay, so just nuance changes.
0: Exactly. Uh, there was some overlap between the cultures, but the Nazca went on to outlast the Paracas it's estimated that there were about 25,000 Nazca people at the height of their civilization spread across villages built on hillsides. The villages were mostly independent, but they would come together occasionally when they had a mutual interest or sometimes a religious ritual or ceremony. Okay. Another cool fact is that we know uh, that alpacas and llamas didn't survive in the coastal areas like where the Nazca lived, but we can determine that they had established trade with other people who had access to llamas and alpacas because we, uh, see that they used wool
1: from these animals and their textiles. Okay, so they were communicating. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, and so it's
0: like there's no way there were llamas and alpacas where they were, so they must have gotten it from somebody else. More evidence of trade includes the Nazca mummies that have been found wearing feathered headdresses featuring feathers from rainforest birds, which had to have been traded because they lived in a pretty arid area, not, yeah. not really a rainforest.
1: It seems like there was definitely a uh, continental travel and trade in almost every culture on earth.
0: Yeah, and I think I think that's something important to put out there because I think I've heard it referred to as like the veil of time, but this idea that we we look at ancient cultures as being so vastly different from our own when like they probably had more similarities than differences. Like, they traded mm-hmm. with other people. They needed other groups. They had to communicate and get by in that way. I, I don't know. I think it's good to think about the things that were similar and not just like, oh, this was like a whole other culture. We could, It's hard to understand. Like, there's still exchange of information and ideas and materials.
1: Yeah, uh, I think in one of our early episodes, I want to say it was our very first episode, we talked about how there are no unique ideas, they're just unique solutions. Yeah. Every culture is going to have the same need. You're going to need to be able to work in communities. You're going to need to be able to eat. You're going to need your young to survive. You're just going to have different ways over time that we're going to address those things. So I think like the biggest difference between us and ancient cultures is uh, our modern medicines and hygiene are much different. Yeah. Uh, Our technologies have obviously advanced, but we still travel by sea. We still raise our young. We still Even if it's just for arts and crafts funsies, we still draw things on the earth and we still build monuments to this day. Exactly.
0: And I think you're hitting on something when you said for arts and crafts funsies that I think is important in that we like to try to attribute like vast meaning and significance to anything anyone did in an ancient time. And it's like, maybe they just thought it was cool. Yeah. Maybe they were like, let's make some art because we do that too. Yeah.
1: It's like every tattoo your tattoo has to mean something for you to get a tattoo or maybe I just really like barbed wire around my bicep <laughs> right. Never think maybe about it means that. I like this
0: tattoo <laughs> Leah and I were talking and we were like Trying to imagine what future cultures are going to think of ours and he's like, they're going to think that the Nike check is some sort of religious marker or like some vastly (gasps) important thing. They're going to be like, oh, they worshipped this Nike god. They brought the cult of Nike back from Roman gods.
1: (laughs) (laughs) They also really liked apples. But you had to take a bite out of the apple, signifying the shared apple amongst all people.
0: Right. And I'm like, so if we had brand if we have brands that might be mistaken for something of religious significance, might ancient peoples also have
1: had brands? Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Especially if they were trading. It just makes sense to me. Maybe this was a ancient Peruvian Da Vinci, and this was just how these individuals expressed their art at the time.
0: Yeah, and I'm like Does it does it have to be more than that? And I think it's interesting to ask the questions and to find out, like, what it could possibly be. But I think it's also important to be like, maybe it's just art. Could that be enough? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um,
1: Isn't it enough for you?
0: So I gave you a little peek into um, some skulls. (laughs) And now we're there. (laughs) give me the skulls speaking of burial (laughs) the Nazca people practiced mummification and buried loved ones usually in the seated position although sometimes curled up on their sides with fine pottery and fabric as well as with trophy skulls that had holes drilled into them so they could be strung onto a line funsies they made no distinction between male and female burials That's kind of cool. I know. Nazca and Paracas remains show evidence of skull elongation practices as well as tattooing. Skull elongation was achieved by binding the skulls of infants while they were still malleable to create a shape lasting into adulthood. So here's a picture of that. That sounds awesome.
1: (laughs) Isn't that cool? Those are those are kind of (laughs) cool. They kind. So if you've seen any of the alien films you've seen alien resurrection it kind of looks like the human alien hybrid or if you've seen indiana jones kingdom of the crystal skull <laughs> uh but in kingdom of the crystal skull so i really want to debunk a, maybe i'll do an episode one day debunking all the indiana jones bullshit because i can go on about that for days <laughs> sure but in indiana jones they talk about how uh that was what their gods looked like but wasn't it just a sign of aristocracy was just the style?
0: Yeah. It was just a class thing. It could just be a class thing. Uh, They've tried to figure out why you would do this, right? Yeah. Ancient aliens (laughs) would have you believe that the Nazca and Paracas people elongated their skulls to pay homage to their alien visitors. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) Couldn't Uh, be anything else. This practice has been found in ancient people all around the world, so maybe the aliens visited everyone (laughs) and you're right it's thought to signify belonging to some in-group maybe a higher echelon of society Mm -hmm. like a class or maybe like a part of tribal belonging I think that makes a lot of sense I
1: mean every culture does some form of body augmentation or body changing just to signify place in society like if you look at a Jewish culture you have circumcision at birth if you look at uh, Samoan culture, the various tribal tattoos that people get over time, even the Yakuza, a certain tattoos mean of uh, various ranks in, along, in time in the group. And I- that's a modern version of that. I
0: really appreciate your anthropological view of this, because the thing that comes to my mind is the star-bellied (laughs) snitches Dr.
1: Seuss.
0: (laughs) But yeah, exactly. There's We kind of, our tribal uh, leanings want us to be able to signify that we're a part of a group, and I think even there are uh, punk and, like, street subcultures that are very into like very specific body mod and like Mm -hmm. people have like subdermal implants that look like horns and
1: yeah i mean one of the things that right now with modern rappers is a lot of them have facial tattoos Mm -hmm. um one of the things actually i saw was that all these rappers today look like the desks in detention (laughs) (laughs) that's awesome uh but right now that's a part of what's being accepted that's popular but i mean In 20 years, are we going to look back at people like Post Malone who are at their peak right now and be like, man, can you believe we did that? But then again, we look back at MC Hammer and we're like, man, can you believe we used to wear parachute pants? Right. And (laughs) shoulder pads. Oh, God, there's so many changes. But I mean, you know, someone's uh, a punk if they're wearing a Dead Kennedys t-shirt and a leather jacket with studs on it. Right. Yeah. They have a mohawk.
0: There's we still do that kind of in group belonging thing. Yeah. Getting into the practice of taking trophy heads, (laughs) Uh, we know that they did that partly because it's depicted on their textiles, and there's evidence of burials of what appear to be victims or chosen people of human
1: sacrifice. So these trophy heads, are they other human skulls? They are other human skulls. They
0: are sometimes taken from battle, and it's believed that some of them are also um, human sacrifice or ritual. Okay. People who are buried uh, as victims or chosen people for human sacrifice are buried with their eyes blocked excrement in the mouth and then the mouth is pinned shut with cactus needles and sometimes the tongue is removed and put in a pouch which is also buried with the person
1: Do you have to eat shit for all eternity? Eat shit and die they basically saying <laughs> <laughs> So pretty intense Maybe <laughs> our next t-shirt, will just be the quote eat shit and die, quote the Casca people <laughs>
0: Um, although Kahuchi appears to be the religious capital of the Nazca culture, possibly because of the ever-presence of water there, which would have certainly been significant to anyone yeah. in the desert, uh, the urban capital city was Ventia. This city featured housing, courts, ceremonial mounds, and underground aqueducts and cisterns to keep a good water supply.
1: Wow, that's actually really impressive. Yeah, this is
0: like from, you know, 200 200 BC. Like, they're coming up with, like, aquifers and shit.
1: But didn't uh, the Roman Empire have aqueducts going at the same time, just in another part of the world?
0: Yeah, that's true. Uh, And I think we focus a lot on, like, the advanced technology of white people. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And not so much on uh, other cultures around the world who also had similar ships. Like this going on, I would have never known.
1: Yeah, yeah. We always focus on, oh, the Romans and the Greeks, they were so ahead of their time. They were real trailblazers and just like, but look at every other culture on the planet South America, Asia, Africa. They were also doing pretty good, interesting shit to keep themselves alive. Yeah. The problems are not unique, only yeah. the solution.
0: Exactly. <laughs> uh, the Nazca people also farmed corn, beans, and squash. The main Nazca god seems to have been the Oculate Being, which I love the name of that. Oculate Being. Who is depicted in Nazca art as a flying deity with strings of trophy heads and streamers coming out from the body, large staring eyes, and a snake's tongue. So... A forked tongue. Yes. Drums and panpipes were used in rituals where Nazca shamans wore gold masks and asked the gods and spirits for good farming and harvesting conditions. It's a little bit of the background on kind of what their day to day was like.
1: Yeah, and that, again, a lot of that is very true of a lot of cultures, a lot of ancient cultures.
0: Oh, here is a Paracas geoglyph. You can see the methods a little bit different. It looks more um, like a relief, and there's not as much color contrast yeah. between the stones. Here's some examples of some Nazca pottery. It's like a lobster.
1: That's actually kind of cool. It's It's cute. real cute.
0: <laughs> uh, and then a whale, too, which is like very stylized. Mm-hmm. Uh, There's some trophy heads as well.
1: Man, I think you died so many years ago, and now everyone's looking at your head in a museum. Right? Right. Isn't that crazy? (laughs) (laughs) Just because of white people... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we'll get there for sure. Maybe we shouldn't just whitewash history. (laughs)
0: Maybe, just saying. It's for sure a part of this presentation. (laughs) Um, So I want to get into some more of the interesting features of the Nazca lines that make us wonder why they were created in the first place. Mm -hmm. The variance in design is worth noticing. There's shapes, animals, plants. There's parallel lines. There's geometric figures. There's some human figures. Like, why all the different things? Mm -hmm. American professor Paul Kosok, K-O-S-O-C-K, observed that some of the Nazca lines align with the setting of the sun at different times of year, like the winter solstice. Oh, okay. Those are especially the straight lines, less the designs, more the parallel lines.
1: You know, I've heard that uh, at Machu Picchu, the uh, pyramids in that area, at certain times of year during the solstice, the how the sun will set and how it will rise will actually have a very unique shadow pattern yes. on the pyramids.
0: Yeah. I, I've read there's a lot of interesting stuff with the like sun and the sky and yeah. pyra- pyramids are so interesting.
1: Yes. <laughs> a whole, um, whole episode on pyramids. Not pyramid schemes, just pyramids. Speaking of interesting stuff about um, pyramids,
0: Nazca Lines, weird shit, Ancient Aliens wants us to think that the most interesting <laughs> thing about the Nazca Lines is that a society with no apparent technology for flight created these geoglyphs that are best observed from the air. They want us to think that since we don't see any evidence that the Nazca people could fly, either aliens helped in the construction of the lines, or the Nazca people constructed the lines in order to get the aliens' attention.
1: That sounds racist. <laughs> now is as good a time as any.
0: <laughs> to note that ancient aliens has come under some well-deserved fire for promoting the idea that ancient people, especially ancient people who weren't white, could not have possibly constructed the, themes that, the things that they seem to have constructed.
1: I know like a lot of people are like, "Well, how did they build the pyramids and know exactly what true north was? It's like you can see the sun rising in the east and setting in the west observation well, observations over time and throughout the year and watching the migration of the sun will show them exactly fucking that. yes, like they all had iPhones that they could play on all day to <laughs> distract them from it. What else are they going to do?" <laughs> Uh, So I kind of wanted
0: to dig into this this very racist thing that ancient aliens does. And I found this amazing article called Pseudo-Archaeology and the Racism of Ancient Aliens.
1: I find delicious. Written by Sarah E.
0: Bond. And she points out that most, though not all, of the sites that are speculated as having been built by aliens are located in Egypt, the rest of Africa, South America, and North America, with very few in Europe.
1: (sighs) So weird. Isn't that interesting? Stonehenge wasn't the Druids. It was (laughs) aliens. (laughs) Right.
0: She quotes medieval historian Chris Rydell as saying, quote, That's what the ancient aliens theory does. It discredits the origins of civilizations and almost entirely of non-white civilizations. People may suggest Stonehenge was built by aliens, but do they suggest the Roman Forum or Parthenon were? No. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That just infuriates me. Like, uh... So uh, I read a lot of uh, anti-whitewashing things where it shows you the actual like history of it, like what they don't want you to know. Like trying to counter all of
0: the, uh, quote, <laughs> American history and world history we learned growing up.
1: One of my favorite things is uh, in the category of black Jesus is it s- describes Jesus in the Bible and his second coming as having skin like bronze and hair like wool. Does that sound like a white person to you? Sure doesn't. No. 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 So, I mean, it shows all these different points in history where it's like no white people had shit to do with this. Well,
0: and also if Jesus came from
1: the Middle East, he's not going to be a fucking white person. (laughs) Probably not. Down with white Jesus.
0: (laughs) White Jesus is a myth. White Jesus is a lie.
1: (laughs) White Jesus is a racist lie. We could go on for hours. We could. We will. Yes. Or like uh, how uh, Egyptians in most of modern cinema are either depicted by white people or more lighter skinned African people or Middle Eastern people yeah. when they were actually black. <laughs> it's, I, it's fucked up. I, the cradle of life of humanity is supposed to be in Ethiopia. That doesn't sound like where all the white people are from. <laughs> the yeah. first uh, Homo sapiens came from Africa. If you have white skin, you have more of a Cro Magnon or a Neanderthal heritage. But how come in my children's Bible, Adam and Eve are white? You know, I just wish people would think of the children. I <laughs> wish <laughs> <The laughs> little <laughs> white boys and girls they I need white Jesus. I wish people understood that white Jesus is here <laughs> <laughs> to fight the devil. <laughs> Which, by the way, the the traditional depiction of the devil is very anti pagan and anti Semitic, yep. especially since the devil has a larger nose yep. like most Yiddish people. Like Jesus probably did. <laughs> I gotta go Stop whitewashing culture.
0: So more on Ancient Aliens. Get ready. I'm sorry, I'm really angry. Go on. Yeah, uh, you're gonna be angrier. Ancient Aliens is largely based on a book by Eric Von Daniken from 1968 titled Chariots of the Gods, which, yes, ends in a question
1: mark. Oh, I've heard of this book before, but go on. Von Daniken's follow-up book Signs of the
0: Gods, question mark, which he released after he spent some time in prison for fraud, (laughs) was published in 1979 and includes such gems as this, which I'm going to give a content warning for super racist shit. So... Yeah, warning everyone. Yeah. um, Quote, was the black race a failure? And did the extraterrestrials change the genetic code by gene surgery and then program a white or yellow race? End
1: quote. Holy
0: fuck. That's the guy whose theory on which this entire show is based.
1: Holy fuck. Yeah. Like real, real, real Holy white supremacy. Fucking fuck, fuck. hmm. Yeah. They're Doesn't neither- it make you want to cry? It does. It, it really, really fucking does. Yeah. Oh. I mean. Oh. <sighs> uh and then
0: you watch ancient aliens and there's an occasional woman and an occasional non-white man but it's almost entirely white dudes talking about how these ancient cultures who were largely non-white couldn't have possibly done the things and it must have been aliens
1: because you know if you're not white how could you possibly do
0: anything do you even know what shapes are these complicated geometric figures and i'm like you mean interlocking
1: squares do you need aliens for interlocking squares you know the light bulb was actually invented by a black man No, It was just perfected by uh, Nikola Tesla later on, and Thomas Edison only invented the way to sustain that. Wow. Also, Edison stole most of Tesla's patents and almost everything else because he was working for the U.S. government and didn't believe in free technology for people because he was a horrible person, and fuck Edison. Yeah, there's that too. I I think
0: there's a lot of, um, there has to be like immeasurable amounts of like inventions and discoveries that were made by not the people that we attribute them to, because those are the people who had the power to get get seen and take credit
1: yeah uh, so have you read the book uh, The Little Prince no first of all I highly recommend it one of the best children's books ever read there's like a Netflix movie I think based on it I haven't watched it yet I love the book so much and it really is a very innocent but poignant way of examining human behavior And in one of the stories, they talk about how there was a mathematician, I want to say that he was Middle Eastern, and he went to present a theory to a board in Europe, but he was wearing his traditional robes, because that's what you wear in the Middle East, because it's so fucking hot, and it's the only way that you can live comfortably. Sure. He was not taken seriously, but he showed up years later wearing a suit, and his theory was accepted. Uh,
0: Yeah, it's it's bonkers, and it's racist. Yes. So, continuing along this vein, uh, the the author of that amazing pseudo-archaeology and the racism of ancient aliens uh, notes, as Sarah Bond notes, that the myth of a, quote, lost race of mound builders, end quote, helped to justify Andrew Jackson's genocide of Native Americans who were dismissed as being incapable of creating the burial mounds in North America and devalued in that dismissal.
1: Well, Andrew Jackson was the sack of shit and we need to get his bitch ass off our money.
0: Yeah, agreed, for sure. But I had, like, I, I did not know that I mean, intuitively, it makes sense, I guess, mm-hmm. that we were like, it was an ancient race of mound builders, not the people we're actively trying to oppress and destroy and like make not a part of our civilization. Like, they actually created these amazing things, but it was, we had to believe that it was somebody else in order to treat them as subhuman.
1: G- going back to anthropology, I mean, it seems like really a trend among Western cultures where if we want to delegitimize uh, a pe- person or people that are not of our white, desired look because we're racist assholes. Mm What we'll say is that there's a superior ancient race. I mean, isn't that what Hitler did? The superior ancient Aryan race that was supposed to be from Atlantis? Yeah, yeah, you're right. It seems like a common trend of, oh, nope, it's those ancient white people, the amazing ancient white people, they were the best. Which like how fucking deluded and racist you have to be
0: where you the white person are like, I have more in common with a super advanced alien than with my fellow man who looks a little different than me. Yeah. Like, fuck you, you
1: know? That's just another way to intentionally draw lines between people or to justify your hate or fear of another person because they look different. You
0: need to remain in power because you're afraid of losing it. (sighs) Yeah. It's important to know that Eric Von Daniken appears in episodes of Ancient Aliens and also seems to still be a paid producer. How? So this show that, like, seems kind of harmless or seems like, oh, there's the, like, funny aliens guy. Like, it's actually, like, promoting really harmful ideas and promoting white supremacy, even if it's not coming out right out and saying so.
1: One of the things that's so dangerous about shows like Ancient Aliens, on top of that, is they sell themselves as fact because they're aired on a station that's supposed to be actually teaching you things. Yeah, it's the History Channel! Exactly. When I turn on the History Channel, I expect to learn... History, not vast racist speculation that delegitimizes ancient cultures. I mean,
0: <laughs> at one point, we're, Lee and I are watching Ancient Aliens and they're talking about the elongated skulls. And it's before they've said they, they're trying to let us think they might even be alien skulls before they like tell us that they're human skulls. And I was like, I mean, it seems like we could find DNA evidence and pretty conclusively yeah. prove these are human. And Lee goes, Nope, I would rather speculate wildly. <laughs> <laughs> it's basically the subtitle to ancient aliens. Yeah, it's,
1: it's just so dangerous to market it in that way. It's like Fox News saying that they're actually news.
0: Right. Yeah, and not like we're just promoting one viewpoint, and we're going to use inductive reasoning to prove that viewpoint instead of trying to see what the facts actually add up to. Yeah.
1: And I'm not going to pretend that like CNN and MSNBC are entirely innocent. I mean, God, the way they've been reporting on
0: Bernie every time every CNN article that I see is like, can someone who's winning the popularity contest win the popularity contest? Here's why no. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm like,
1: like, oh, so is Bloomberg wrapped up in this? <laughs> like, yeah. So I mean, I'm not going to pretend that MSNBC or CNN or any other news affiliate. That's not Fox News is perfect and flawless. Obviously. And we should turn a blind eye to it. But what I am saying is when you have blatant disregard for the truth, you're report- repeatedly reporting extremely slanted and even falsified stories at every hour of the day, but selling it as a legitimate news source. I mean, CNN and MSNBC are not perfect, but at least they'll tell you what's happening if something's really happening.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's a... It's bonkers to have to like cross reference when you're watching the news, <laughs> like see like what news is giving you what truth.
1: I and that's actually one of the really sad things about what is happening uh, to modern journalism because there are wonderful, amazing journalists out there that are doing great things. Uh, like one of the most modern examples, Boston Globe, uh, right? Yeah, Spot, uh, Spotlight putting the focus on the Catholic Church, fucking amazing. There are great journalists out there. But when journalism becomes more about ratings and opinion And who's
0: funding facts. you and what you're allowed to what facts you're allowed to say because the person funding you has a vested interest in keeping information quiet.
1: Exactly. It gets so dangerous. People go to news reporters, to news stations, and to newspapers and magazines expecting You have vetted your sources. You are the citation. It is that citation needed. You have all the facts in a row. You've done your research. And they expect that
0: you're presenting them in a way that accurately represents the facts. And that's just not always the case.
1: Yeah. Everyone, to quote George Carlin, question everything. Teach your children to question everything.
0: Uh, To quote uh, Green Day, (laughs) Uh, question everything or shut up and be a victim of authority.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Also to quote Green Day, I don't want to be an American idiot. <laughs> uh,
0: oh man. <laughs> Honestly same. <laughs> no, man.
1: <laughs> uh yeah, this got really political. <laughs> yeah.
0: I I knew like I I was wondering kind of what what my um, bent was on this one, because I was like, i just curious about the Nazca lines and just like mostly, you know, like any topic that we talk about, just wanting to dive in and learn everything about it. And then watching the Ancient Aliens episode on it, because that's where I first saw it. I watched that like a year ago or something was like, oh, I'm going to put this in the back of my head for Mm -hmm. an episode. And then rewatching it, especially with Lee, who is such a wonderfully critical viewer, like he's really Mm -hmm. good at pointing out bullshit. And he was getting so angry. Like, he called it irrationally angry. I don't think it's irrationally angry. I think it's pretty rationally angry. But, like, at one point, he just, like, was, kept throwing up his hands and was just, like, so upset by this. And I'm like, good. Okay. Like, it's human to have a strong negative reaction to people misrepresenting what seems to be the truth or a possibility and trying to yeah. make it aliens.
1: I mean, you can... You can forgive things like Indiana Jones because it's fiction. Right, it's meant it's to be entertaining. Intended fiction. But uh, when you're selling it as truth,
0: yeah, it becomes a lot less defensible. Yeah. I want to talk about the Nazca astronaut. The Nazca astronaut is also known as the Owl Man, the Giant, or if you're ancient aliens, El Astronauto. <laughs> El Astronado. He's right over here on these here hills. Oh yeah, you take a left at El Astronado right before you get to El Dorado.
1: (laughs) I just took my children to see El Astronado and I don't know if it's good for them. I didn't see a crucifix anywhere. (laughs) By the way, that's a southern anti-vaxxer mom.
0: (laughs) I like this character.
1: (laughs) She's my new character.
0: (laughs) Uh, So El Astronado... (laughs) is about a hundred feet high. It's between two parallel lines that are, car- it's all carved into a hill visible from the coast below. So it's one of those ones that you can kind of look up at. Mm-hmm. Czech scientist Frantisek Kolaknik and Václav Vitek, I'm sorry, have theorized that this figure is actually a fisherman holding a fishing net high in one hand, fish at the feet. But you know, it could just be a depiction of an alien. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm sorry, you just made way too much fucking sense there i have to knock that back down to the
0: crazy <laughs> right. Uh so there's um, I've got a picture of like the figure and then also the figure with the outline that they added to kind of show it might be a fisherman, so there's the figure and you can see there's a lot of kind of vague lines around it yeah it looks very eroded and this i'm like oh that looks like it could very much be a fisherman like look at that possible fish on the fish. line yeah and like maybe you're holding a net. Uh, like once i saw that
1: like i was it just made sense. that made I a lot more sense can't see it as anything else now <laughs> um, what if what if someone came up with the theory call me crazy so this is a quote el astronado it's a guy that's on the mountainside Maybe being lifted into the sky because he's El Astronauto. Sure. What if it was early Christian pilgrim pilgrims that already knew what was going to happen when Jesus came, and what they're depicting is the Christ going into the heavens? Can it then be humans that did it? It's a prophecy.
0: Yeah. If it's about <laughs> Jesus, it can definitely be humans, but, but only, only white, white people. Jesus. <laughs> God. <laughs> (laughs) Now you get it. (laughs) Um, Also watching Ancient Aliens with Lee, he was really hung up on um, how the quality of the owl man or the astronaut seems to be lower than the others. He kept calling it potato quality. (laughs) Um, But it is like less crisp than some of the other figures that we've seen. I don't know if that's because they tend to show us the most crisp ones. I don't know if maybe it's a Paracas figure. And so it's from like the culture that predates the Nazca and had more time to erode.
1: Maybe Um, it was just somebody else that wanted to do the same thing, but they just weren't good at it. Or
0: maybe this group just, like, didn't follow instructions as well, and they had a potato-looking figure. Maybe this was the Art
1: 101 version. (laughs)
0: Right? (laughs) There's just so many possibilities.
1: So you're just graduating from stick figures, but you still can't get the nose right?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's supposed to be a fish, good enough. (laughs) Uh, So, finally, what are some theories about the meanings of the lines? Uh the lines that align with the setting of the sun on specific days have been speculated to be used to track the movement of the planets and the stars. Oh, well, that just
1: makes too much sense. Sure.
0: Uh this I love this lady, German archaeologist Maria Reichy, R-E-I-C-H-E, maybe Reich, I don't know how to pronounce that, who later became known as the Lady of the Lines. It's uh, kind of a cool title. I know. She fought to preserve them and she lived near them, like waking up and stopping people wait, from like trampling on them.
1: Wait, she fought to preserve them. There was no one preserving these.
0: No, there there wasn't at the time. I mean, well, I, mean, the, I want to say this is early 1900s. It's
1: clearly world heritage. <laughs> we didn't know. No one's going to get rid of the copper fairy circles in the UK. I'm just fucking saying. Yeah, yeah. Like, why did
0: we not value this as much as we valued other heritage sites? And it's possible that because we just couldn't see them as much, we didn't have, like, access to widespread commercial flight for a long time. Yeah, but
1: still, like, for the ones that y- were observable, people were just, like, creepsing through the big drawing. Yeah, and so she lived nearby, and she'd be like, get the fuck out of here, you can't do this, it's a sacred ground. <laughs> I assume. <laughs> In German. <laughs> so it sounds ten times angrier. Yes.
0: Uh, she stated her belief that the animal designs might actually actually correspond to constellations in the night sky, but that these designs are sort of inverse constellation, mapping out the dark spaces between the stars.
1: Oh, yeah, that's I, amazing. We and I
0: were talking like what, what all stars might have been visible at the time that aren't visible now, mm-hmm. Might it, especially because there's not as nearly as much light pollution or air pollution, might it have been that the st- the sky was mostly stars and it would make more sense to try to map out the dark spaces
1: that's actually a really cool idea I I love that yeah really
0: fascinating inverse constellation Another theory is that the lines are pre- processional routes for ceremonial purposes, and that's supported by the path that goes to the center of the uh, ancient Nazca city, Cahuachi, which was their religious center. Mm-hmm. Uh, Professor Masato Sakai, S-A-K-A-I, an archaeologist specializing in the Andes region, has theorized that these lines serve to connect different Nazca communities to one another, and so that they would be able to follow these paths to get to another Nazca village.
1: So road signs. Possibly, yeah. So- I want to go back briefly yeah. to the uh, inverse constellation idea because go I just it. think that's Isn't so that fucking cool. So throughout the year, partially be- uh, based on uh, the Earth's rotation, uh, both around the sun and both on its axis, the stars shift throughout the year. It's just how it is. Uh, Ursa Major will not be in the same place. That's why the North Star Polaris is the North Star, because it's the one that remains stagnant in the sky or yeah. mostly stagnant. So I wonder if they were either maps of the constellations on the ground or if they were inverse constellations. If they would line up with those parts at certain times of year, oh. that would actually have some sort of significance to their culture. That
0: would make sense, like a harvest time or yeah. some other like s- significant time. Yeah. yeah, we're
1: in spider time. It's warm outside. They've all come back. <laughs> <laughs> it's monkey so- time. Everyone go scoop up your crops like the monkey scooping up the banana,
0: <laughs> right? Like there, there's like an infinite possibility of like what yeah. what these things represented to the people who made them. Yeah. I think that'd be a really cool idea if that's what it's something so like that. Yeah, I love that idea. And I'm like, why not, right? Much of the recent research suggests that the Nazca Lines served a purpose related to water, but not necessarily irrigation or even like a guide to find water. Uh, a lot of people suspect that these designs were created as a ritual to pray for rain and to lead people on pilgrimages to places where they could worship the gods and ask for rain because water must have been a pretty significant I mean, it's significant for anyone to survive, but particularly people who live in kind of a desert area, it's going to take on a lot of value.
1: As someone from the desert can confirm, (laughs) you've experienced this, water is life.
0: Um, In 2015, researchers at the 80th annual Society for American Archaeology meeting argued that the purpose and function of the Nazca lines actually changed over time, stating that they were initially used as processional routes for people headed to the temples, but that they became part of a ceramic-smashing religious ritual later which is evidenced by a bunch of smashed pottery at the intersections of some of the lines.
1: Oh, that's kind of cool. Right.
0: Uh, this mit- ritual might have served to build and strengthen connections between the villages, and it may have been the end of a feast with emptied containers being smashed and left behind.
1: Oh, that's kind of cool. I know. Yeah.
0: I'm like, that's pretty badass. Like, let's all come together and have a celebration and then, like, leave yeah. all this pottery
1: or whatever. I mean, you see that in, again, with all cultures, like, the significance of a certain area is going to change over time based on the needs of that culture. Right. right? We. The Great Wall of China is still there, most of it. They're not trying to keep out the Mongols anymore.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but it's still there. Yeah. Um, and of course, it's possible that these lines and figures served a combination of purposes, or none at all apart from fulfilling our human desire to create art. But make sure that you keep in mind, just because white people couldn't do it, it doesn't mean it was aliens.
1: <laughs> and that's the Nazca lines. I got a lot more angry on that than I expected I would. (laughs) It's still a really fun idea and concept, and I love speculating about ancient cultures. Yeah, me too. When it's not aliens did it because they weren't white. Well, and I think,
0: like, we really do ourselves a disservice by trying to act like... It it was some outside force because I think the truth, I mean, part of the reason we're both so interested in true crime is that the truth is usually much more interesting than, like, anything we could come up with. Yeah. Like, people are inherently
1: interesting. Also, if you're dismissing something and saying, oh, it has to be aliens because non-white people couldn't possibly do it. You're throwing out the entire history of the world as a whole. Yeah. You're taking out chapters that suit just the idea of one small group of humanity. Very true. Sure? I just think is disgusting. But I had this I had a book recommended to me when I was um 19 years old when I was working at the Borders bookstore back when there was a Borders bookstore called Lies My Teacher Told Me. Mm. And it'll do things like show you the map of colonized areas in the Americas before the Revolutionary War. And it'll be like, this is a traditional map. And it'll say like, this is where the Native Americans were. This is where the English were. And this is where the French were. And this is what they say it looked like. And then they will show you the same map, but completely redone. And they're like, no, it was actually much more nuanced. There were these groups that were in there. There were these areas in these, uh, spillover in these territories. Mm. And it's so much more nuanced than the history books will have you believe.
0: And more human, because I think, like... Part of the whole veil of time is that we erase like the humanity of people from the past and we try to act like they were monolithic in some way or like it was all this way and then all this way. And it's like, no, like progress, pro- quote unquote, progress or colonization or genocide is always made in small steps.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, Do you see that uh, California is now formally apologizing for the Japanese internment camps during World War Two? No, no. So this I did not learn until about a week ago. So I was talking to my mom and I think you know this, my uh, godmother is Japanese. I'm sure I've heard that, but
0: yeah. in one ear, at the other with me, I'm I, sorry.
1: <laughs> I love my godmother. The reason she's my godmother is her and my mom became friends in high school and my Aunt Irene made my mom promise that if she ever had a daughter, she could be her fairy godmother. Aww. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so uh, I love my godmother, but I did not know this, but I think it was her father was actually temporarily in a Japanese internment camp. Wow. And that's just so insane to think about because we were talking about it and I said something about how George Takei was in one when mm-hmm. she was younger. And she said, yeah, your Aunt Irene, her father. Was in one of these camps. It's not nearly as removed from us in time as I think we'd like to believe. Yeah, she, he wasn't in like a, like the biggest one, but he was in one of the other more well-known ones. Which is, again, yeah, uh, I read a thing that said that Martin Luther King Jr., Barbara Walters, and Anne Frank were all, like, born, like, within the same year, within yeah, a few years of each other. they'd all be the same age. Yeah. Like, they'd
0: still, like, we would still have MLK Jr. and Anne Frank.
1: Yeah, but because of when they died, we think of them being a part of different eras of history. Yeah. Which is just insane to think about. Yeah, none of this stuff is as uh, far away
0: as would be make it more comfortable.
1: Yeah, you like to pretend, oh, the Holocaust was, you know, so long ago, and humanity would never do anything like that in this day and age. It's like Anne Frank was the same age as Barbara Walters. And we're putting children in internment camps at the border of our country. Yeah. It's like we're apologizing for what we did to the Japanese Americans, Rightfully so, for what we did to them during World War II because it was entirely racially motivated. But we're
0: apologizing with one hand and doing the same thing to other people with the other hand.
1: Yeah, it's like, oh, we're okay with Japanese people now, but if you're of Latino descent and you're trying to flee gangs, cartels, poverty, what have you in your own country, we want to punish you for that exactly and it's and also even like things with like border security are in themselves so nuanced like if someone's a serial killer from mexico city you don't want to let that person into your community but someone might be trying to escape from that serial killer exactly so it's like it's so much more nuanced than everything too i did read
0: i think it's greyhound buses um have decided they're no longer going to comply with uh immigration officials stopping and searching the bus unless they have a warrant
1: that's actually kind of cool for greyhound
0: yeah i was like that's pretty badass and um a real social justice thing for them to do yeah and lee pointed out it's probably a more bottom line motivated thing to do uh and i said you know what if they can both dovetail i'm happy with it yeah yeah <laughs> if it can hurt less people and make the company more money i don't care about their money i do
1: care about the people yeah yeah it's History is so much more complicated than the textbooks would have you believe. Amen. So, this was actually a really cool one. I had no idea what I was coming into today because you told me that a dissociative personality disorder was no longer on the docket. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just like, we're winging it. <laughs> Not my week. <laughs> Show up and drink. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, uh, that's yeah. it. Well, thank you for that one. Yeah, you're welcome. Cheers, crackpots. Cheers, crackpots.
0: As always, thank you for listening, and if you like what you heard today, please leave us a positive review and a five-star rating, and tell your friends. All of that helps people know who we are so that we can bring you more
1: of what you love. If you'd like more information on a specific episode, visit our website, crackpotcocktailhour.com, and click on the episode's link. If you'd like to know when new episodes are coming out and see
0: the cocktail recipes in advance, subscribe to us in your podcast app and follow us on social media. We are Crackpot Cocktail Hour on Facebook, Instagram, and Pinterest, and we're at Crackpot
1: Hour on Twitter. If you've got feedback for an episode or would like to suggest an episode topic, feel free to email us. We're CrackpotCocktailHour at gmail.com. Until next time, Crackpots, crack Crack it like it's hot. hot!